Hey folks, attorney Andrew Branca here from Law of Self-Defense. Yesterday was the fifth day of testimony in the murder trial of Curtis Reeves, the retired Tampa SWAT captain who shot and killed Chad Olson in a local movie theater in January 2014 after the two men had a verbal altercation that became physical. This was the day the defense began to present its case in chief in calling its first witnesses. Perhaps ironically, the first two defense witnesses were actually police officers involved in the investigation, and the third was the man who had installed the theater security camera system and collected the hard drives that captured video of the shooting. The day closed out with testimony from the defendant's two adult children. The first of these was the defendant's daughter, who testified largely about her father's increasingly frail condition as he aged. The second was the son, himself a police officer, who actually arrived at the scene of the shooting just as the fatal shot was fired and who attempted to provide emergency care to the fatally shot Chad Olson. Before we dive into things, I do want to mention the sponsor of today's content, which is CCW Safe, a provider of legal service memberships, what many people mistakenly call self-defense insurance. In effect, CCW Safe promises to pay its members legal expenses if the member is involved in a use of force event, and those expenses start big and get bigger fast, folks. If you've been compelled to shoot somebody in self-defense, they die as a result, you find yourself charged with manslaughter or murder. It's easy to burn through $200,000 before you even get to trial. So if you don't have that kind of money stuffed in a mattress, just in case you are compelled to defend yourself or your family, it can be helpful to have a financial partner standing behind you to make sure you have the resources you need to fight that legal battle the way you want it fought, as if the rest of your life depends on it, because really it does. Now, I've looked at all the companies that offer these types of services, and I found that CCW Safe is by far the best fit for me. I'm personally a member. My wife, Emily, is personally a member. Whether they're the best fit for you is something only you can decide, but I do urge you to take a look at what they have to offer by pointing your browser to lawofselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe. And if you do decide to become a member, you can save 10% off that membership using the discount code LOSD10. That's LOSD for Law of Self-Defense and the number 10 at that URL, lawofselfdefense.com slash ccwsafe. All right, let's dive into the witnesses in yesterday's Curtis Reeves trial. The first was Aaron Smith, a homicide detective. Aaron Smith was the secondary homicide detective assigned to this case, supporting lead homicide detective Alan Proctor. You'll recall that we covered Proctor's humiliating cross-examination in yesterday's trial blog post, which I'll link in the text version of today's content. It's worth noting that there exists a general rule that leading questions are not permitted on direct questioning of a witness called by a party to testify, but only on cross-examination of that witness by the other party. Now, a leading question is one in which the question itself suggests the answer. For example, did you find a gun on the car seat would be leading, whereas can you tell us if you found anything on the car seat and if so, what? would not be a leading question. Under a provision of Florida law, however, specifically statute 90.612, subparagraph 3, when the defense in a criminal trial calls a police officer as a witness to be questioned on direct, that officer is presumptively hostile to the defense. As a result, the defense is permitted to make use of leading questions even on direct questioning of that witness. That statutory provision reads, quote, 
Leading questions should not be used on the direct examination of a witness, except as may be necessary to develop the witness's testimony. Ordinarily, leading questions should be permitted on cross-examination. But when a party calls a hostile witness, an adverse party, or a witness identified with an adverse party, interrogation may be by leading questions. Close quote. And yesterday, the defense took full advantage of this opportunity with both of the detectives they called as witnesses. Unfortunately for the state, Detective Smith's direct testimony as a witness called by the defense went little better than had Detective Proctor's cross-examination testimony the day before. Over the course of nearly two hours of direct questioning by defense counsel Richard Escobar, he obliged Smith to concede again and again and again that his conduct in the investigation of this event was little more than an abject failure. This was particularly true in the context of Smith's collection of the hard drives containing the video of this event. Rather than securing these drives on the scene immediately following the shooting, which he could have done, Smith delayed securing them until they had already been shipped by the theater to its corporate headquarters in Alabama. When Smith finally did secure a sealed box provided by corporate and purporting to contain the relevant hard drives, he didn't bother to open the container and inspect its contents prior to storing the container in evidence. When the container was ultimately unsealed and opened, it was found to contain 10 hard drives. Unfortunately for Smith, Testimony later in the day from John Sillis, the video system installer who had collected the drives for corporate, revealed that in fact he had collected and sent them 15 hard drives. Five drives then had not ever been secured by Detective Smith. Arguably the strongest indication that Smith's testimony on direct questioning by the defense was enormously damaging to the state's narrative of guilt is that the state declined to bother to cross-examine Smith at all. And of course, the video of Smith's testimony, as is the video of all the testimony discussed in today's content, is embedded in the text version of today's content. The next defense witness was also a detective involved in the investigation, uh, this time one from the Cyber Crimes Division. Uh, the primary focus of the defense in calling Detective Anthony Bassone was with respect to his role in securing Chad Olson's cell phone. You'll recall that the state had made much of the fact that Curtis Ree's DNA was not detected on the phone. The absence of DNA is not proof of much, really, as DNA is often not left behind in detectable quantities. But had Reeves' DNA been found on the phone, this would have corroborated Reeves' claim of having been struck by Olson's phone as the initial physical aggression in their confrontation. The defense thus drew from Detective Brisson testimony as to the various ways the collection of the cell phone was not done in a manner optimal for ensuring the preservation of uncontaminated DNA on its surface. And as was the case with Detective Smith, the state did not bother to cross-examine Detective Bassone at all. So, of course, the direct exam... <clears throat> Next up as defense witness was John P. Sillis, uh, the man who had installed the theater security cameras and who was called by the theater to collect the system's hard drives and ship them off to corporate in Alabama. 
It was through the testimony of Silas that the defense would reveal to the jury that although Detective Smith had collected only 10 video hard drives from corporate, Silas had actually removed and shipped to corporate a total of 15 hard drives. The direct testimony of Silas was brief at under 10 minutes, and the state did finally engage in cross-examination with this witness for a mere three minutes or so. The fourth witness of the day was Jennifer Shaw. She's the adult daughter of defendant Curtis Reeves. Her testimony on direct was focused on her father's increasingly frail and weakened condition as he aged. A key facet of the defense, of course, is that Reeves' age of 71 years at the time of the event and the related infirmity made him exceptionally vulnerable to grave bodily injury when attacked by the six foot, four inch, 220 pound, 43 year old Chad Olson. Jennifer Shaw's testimony was patently intended to buttress that argument of the defense. At least at one point of her testimony about her aging father, an emotional Shaw was visibly on the verge of tears. Cross-examination of Jennifer Shaw by Assistant DA Scott Rosenwasser came across to my eye as rather petty and mocking, and it was a rather ugly look. Now, you may recall Rosenwasser uh, from the trial of Michael Draca, the handicapped parking spot shooter. He was a prosecutor in that case as well. And certainly the state does not want the defense to convince the jury that an acquittal is mandatory because of Reeves' purported age and infirmity. Age and infirmity by themselves are not a license to kill, after all. But this cross could have been managed in a more effective manner than that chosen by Rosenwasser. The final witness of the day was Matt Reeves, the adult son of Curtis Reeves, who is himself a Tampa police officer. Ironically, Matt had arranged to meet with his parents at the theater to join them in watching the film Lone Survivor, and he arrived moments before the fatal shot was fired. Uh, It seems likely, ironically enough, that if Matt had arrived only minutes earlier, the confrontation between Curtis Rees and Chad Olson would have gone quite differently and without fatal outcome if it had occurred at all. Matt actually helped lay the fatally wounded Olsen on the floor of the theater and initiated first aid to Olsen before a nurse, Derek Friedhoff, took over. We heard Friedhoff testify earlier in the trial. Because he was on scene for the shooting, Matt had some modest contribution to make as an eyewitness of the scene and event, including testifying to the theater as being pitch black and very loud, evidence favorable to the defense. Matt also provided testimony as to the increasing frailty of his aging father along much the same lines as had Curtis Reeves' daughter, Jennifer Shaw. Cross-examination of Matt was conducted by lead assistant DA Glenn Martin. As had ADA Rosenwasser, Martin's cross was done in a rather petty and mocking way, which struck me as less than optimally effective. Indeed, with respect to the cross-examination of Both daughter and son, the state's position seemed to be that the 71-year-old Reeves, 71 years old at the time of this event, was as healthy and robust as he might have been decades earlier. Frankly, a ridiculous proposition to anyone who simply observes Reeves in the courtroom. At day's end, it appeared to my eye that Matt Reeves was finished as a witness following his redirect questioning by the defense, but news reports are indicating that he may actually return as a witness on Monday morning, presumably to be subject to recross by the state, perhaps preceded by more redirect by the defense. The defense redirect certainly had been interrupted by several lengthy sidebar discussions with George Barthel upon repeated objections by the state, so perhaps there is further work to be done with this witness. 
That's it on the Rees trial for the weekend, folks. On Monday morning, I expect to once again be live streaming the proceedings with commentary and analysis over at the Rakaita Law YouTube channel. And I'll share a link that morning, Monday morning, for those of you wishing to join in the fun over there. In closing, remember, if you carry a gun so you're hard to kill, that's why I carry a gun, so I am hard to kill, my family is hard to kill, then you also owe it to yourself and your family to make sure you know the law so you're hard to convict. Until next time, I remain Attorney Andrew Branca for Law of Self-Defense. Stay safe.